want to show you to the best of my abilities, and hopefully just not mine, but the Spirit of God giving me inspiration to say this, the understanding behind why communion now is the heart of God. Communion is the entirety of God's focus. And when I say communion, real quick, wipe away the idea of eating the bread and drinking of the water. That's the natural expression of what it means spiritually. So when I'm saying communion, most of us just have this so small humanistic concept of communion is where they say a prayer, you eat a piece of styrofoam sometimes and drink a piece of half-fermented grape juice that didn't quite make it to being tasting good. Or some of you maybe think of the bread because we usually use like, you know, here we, when we were doing it community-wide, we take French bread and cut it up so, it's, so the body of Christ tastes a little better in that one. But that's where most of our minds go. It's just this, this ritual that we're supposed to do. Who's ever been honest with these? I said, yeah, it's kind of, I just know we're supposed to do it. And, and But that's not communion. That is just a physical act, just to try to shed a little bit of light on the fullness of what it means to commune with God. To be in a common union, inseparable. This is so littered throughout scripture, but we just blow past it. Genesis 1, y'all know, I don't think I can talk without talking about Genesis 1. He creates all his good world. He creates man. He tells man, now you, just as I just took all the death, chaos, and destruction, you create death, chaos, and destruction. Don't, don't do that. Just as I took it and got rid of it, and now it's a good world. I saw it and it's good. Now I place you in it and continue my good work. If you need a little scripture reference from this, this is Genesis 1, specifically verse 26, 27, 28, 29. It says, and God made man and blessed them saying, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air. He begins to name all of his creation. He said, because that's what I did. In, in verses 1, all the way leading up to 26, he took all of that empty void, nothing, and turned it in to something good. And he said, now, this is how I do things. I'm fruitful. I multiply. I replenish the things that I remove this is showing us the character of God right here in the first chapter. But we just breeze past it. Then he even took it a step further to help us understand because he said, now I want you to do that and here's how you're going to do that. And then we get chapter two, which is the story of Adam and Eve. These two very specific people that are in the lineage of Christ, that's why they're called out and mentioned. And he, he says, so not only... Did I do it and show you and then say, now continue my work? He said, let me show you how to continue my work. I'm going to place you in this spot. It's called the Garden of Eden is what they called it. 
won't go into an extreme detail of the meaning of the Eden, but that may be a visitation again soon. He says, and in this place that I've created for you where it's fruitful, it's multiplying, your job is to maintain it, is to continue this. And how you do it is you stay by me. How you do it is you walk and talk with me. And just in case you don't understand how that works because you're in the natural and, and this is all spiritual, Adam, here's what I'm going to do. It's not good that you're alone in, in, in this. So I'm going to give you a spouse is what we would call it. So it says God makes Adam a wife. Now, again, if you're mine, if you're just thinking, oh, it's husband, wife, and you're thinking all natural, you're missing the point. He gave us this natural relationship even by our today's standards thousands of years later getting married is still the height of a relationship isn't it it's still like you can have somebody that has been together for 15 years and what's the first question everyone asks why haven't you got married and usually these day and age the answer is well I don't have to get a piece of paper yeah 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 yeah. but there's something innate inside of us that says there's some kind of a something that happens when you say you're married the idea is this communion we even call it the marriage union. And what God said, he said, well, the reason I gave you that is because I needed you to have a physical relationship that is supposed to illustrate the level that you're supposed to be with me. You're supposed to be one, right? This says this, if you don't know this, this says this. In Genesis chapter 2, where it says, God brings the woman to Adam, and Adam says this. The two shall become one not separate, two becoming one. God literally was so devoted to communion that he, he said, listen, I want you to carry my good work. And, and, and the way you do that is communing with me. And I'm going to put you in a spot where you can directly commune with me. And just in case that's not enough, I'm also going to give you a relationship here in the natural. You can see that bonded together, that communion that illustrates what I've got for you. Then as we continue on, we abandon that communion. Now I want you to see this, because I know I'm just in Genesis and I gotta get all the way to Easter Sunday, all this morning. Listen to the story and see if you don't spot something. What is the illustration that is given to us about the tree of knowledge of good and evil? About this communion, being in this place, in oneness with God, having our personal relationship help guide us and say, yeah, because the way I walk and talk with you when we become one, we're supposed to be one with God, this union. Watch how it's laid out for us. It says, now in this spot, in this place, I want you all to see this. Communion and fasting right here in Genesis 1 and 2. Because he says, listen, all of this is yours. I want you to do what I've told you to do and stay in union with me. But there's two things going on here. There's this tree of knowledge of good and evil, and there's this tree of life. The trees are representative. Again, guys, we don't drive around and be like, look at that tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's coming into bloom this year. Not a real tree. This This is trying to give us an understanding. It's a spiritual thing. Trees represent the produce, the things you can, what, did, what they didn't eat the wood, they ate the fruit of it. 
Think forward in the story. It says what they do. They took a bite of the fruit. So we have this tree of knowledge of good and evil and tree of life. He says, in this union with me, and I've given you all this stuff already. Look, here's a thing you fast. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it. Deny yourself that desire. Hello, church. It's called a fast. He said, you deny that and you rely on me. Deny it. Push it. There's the fast. He says, what you can partake of is this tree of life over here. That's communion. Y'all didn't catch that, did you? Y'all have read this your whole lives and you're just like, oh, I never saw that in there because I, I didn't. Over the last several years, it's been just slowly unveiled. Are y'all seeing? I just wrapped up our entire theology in two chapters of the Bible. And we're so thick-headed, God said, I got to give you 66 books. Do I need to walk through that again real quick? He created from death, chaos, and destruction a good world. And he said, now, I'm going to show you how I do it. You stay in communion with me, and I'll, you be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue. This is how I do it. And to keep you in communion with me, I'm going to put you in a spot where you walk and talk with me and we become one. And to go further, to show you that illustration of it, I'm going to give you someone besides you, which we call a spouse. And y'all are going to be united to illustrate that and to help understand what it means to stay in direct communion with me. God is consumed with communion. That's what, that's what he cares about. And so then right there in Genesis, right at the beginning, we see the art of denying a desire and gaining a desire. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, fast it, get rid of it. Rely on me for it, but be consumed in my union, in life with me. Now, most of us know this story. If we don't, let me tell you real quick, we messed that up. And the actual phrasing in Genesis 3 is, it says God divorces man, meaning the communion has to be cut off. And just let me help you out real quick. He has to cut us off, not because of anger. I'm sure he was ticked off at it. I mean, if I did that much work, I'd be like, come on, man. But that's actually not in Genesis 3. It doesn't say God was filled with wrath and rage and took out a whip and no, we read it in English and it says, and drove them out. But the word drove doesn't mean like to drive cattle. That's what we think of because we're Texan. Behind them with a hot shot. <laughs> Get out of here. The word drove there means led. Meaning he took them out. And it says that the word here is when he separated himself. The word is literally in our language would be divorce. Cut the communion off. Here's why it says he did it. He said, because... I care about my communion so much. If they stay in this state of partaking of what they weren't supposed to, partaking of the things I said deny, and not partaking of my communion, they'll stay like this forever. And that is not my design. It's not my desire. So he says, I've, I've got to separate for a time to where I can get you back. To what? Communion. Fast forward a few thousand years, lots of stories and things happening of God constantly. If you don't believe me, look in the book of Exodus. God liberates his people and he is trying to get them to commune with him again. And they refuse to again. 
I got, I got to say it, so it takes just an extra second. If you look at the story of Moses, I'm giving you super brief pretext of like 25 chapters of the Bible here real quick, okay? They're led out. God speaks to Moses and says, I desire to dwell with my people. This is Old Testament, guys. God's saying, I desire to dwell with. This is before the tabernacle is ever constructed. This is before anything. God says, I desire to be with you. I want communion. Like I created you to be in the first place. And he tells Moses this to go tell the people and gives Moses some instructions on the the way in which the people will approach. And when they get there and they look at it, they get scared. They walk by and they say, Moses, you go do it. Moses, you go to God for us and you just tell us what God said. I want you to pause on that. And Sharon, if I forget to go back to Moses, you tell me, go back to Moses and the people. And they refuse and they go down. What we see after that is something that we commonly refer to, if you've ever heard it, is tabernacle worship or temple worship. Literally almost immediately after that, instructions are now given to Moses to construct a tabernacle, which is a temple. It's called tabernacle because they moved it around with them. It was this giant tent. Cirque du Soleil has nothing on the tabernacle tent. They made this giant tent with all of these. I mean, it goes on for chapters. That's Exodus uh, 25 through like 27, 28, somewhere around there. It's chapter upon chapter describing what they have to do in this tent. Remember, did God say do that first? No. He tried again to be right with his people. He said, no, Moses, you go do it. Just tell us. So then God says, all right, here's how it's going to work. And he lays out this entire process. He lays out this entire process, and it's divided up into three core areas, but actually it's, it's like there's a ton of little things within each area, but there's actually four. There's the outer courts, the inner courts, the holies, and the holy of holies. But it's really, we always think of it in three parts because the holy and the holy of holies are really similar together. We'll go in detail. It's not the important piece of it, all the details. If you want to do that, you can read Acts, or, uh, Acts, Exodus. You can read Acts too. That's a good one to read. Exodus chapter 25 through like 28. Read all those chapters. You get all the details. But you had the outer courts, the inner courts, and the holy of holies. In the outer courts, everyone was welcome. The gates were open kind of a thing. It's actually commonly referred to as the court of the Gentiles in Jesus' day, meaning that anyone and everyone could be in that court. The next court, the inner courts, is where they had an altar where they performed the sacrifices. So if you think of it this way, the outer courts was the preparation with all the people, and they prepared their sacrifice that they had. Then they went to the inner courts, And they actually did the sacrifices. Most people don't know this, but in the inner courts, while their sacrifice was being made, they were to be in complete silence, preparing as the sacrifice was being made. Again, aren't y'all glad we don't have an altar? And it's like, all right, bring your lamb. We're gutting them this morning. We romanticize this. This was not a pleasant process. 
There's actually some very interesting things that they actually had to do with their sacrifices. Can I tell you? I'm going to tell you. You can search me, try me. This is historical fact. Their primary type of sacrifice was lamb. And you're like, oh, a lamb. Yeah, so that's why they called Jesus the lamb of God. Because lambs have no significance. We don't come back reincarnated as them instead of cows or any of that crap, okay? The lamb is symbolic because in their day, they used sheep. And that was their primary means of trade and making money. So it was very precious to them. Do you all get this? So the primary thing they would use is a lamb. They also used doves and other things as times changed. But what they would do with that lamb, this is going to get maybe a little graphic for you, but I need you to listen. They did this about, about 1,500 years before Jesus. 1,500 years, give or take, before Jesus. They took this lamb and they would actually fillet it down the middle and take all the entrails out, so all the intestines and everything like that of it out. They would take those intestines then because they had to burn the sacrifice. They would wrap them up. And what they had to do is it all had to be consumed by the fire if you read it in Exodus. So they actually then took those and placed them on the head of the lamb. And to get it to burn, they used... I'm not lying right now, guys. You are about to think I'm making this up. They used a stick going this way to hold it in the fire, and they used a stick going this way. And they would tie the front two legs, one this way, one this way, with it filleted, with all the entrails on top. Are y'all seeing an imagery right now? Are y'all seeing an imagery right now? 1,500 years beforehand, God gave us so many understandings not trying to hide it from us, trying to get us to understand it. If we would just stop and commune with him, he could show us. And then you do say, I count it all joy. Because when I just look like, how, how could you have that much forethought? Because we think in time so much. But again, that wasn't his original idea. I'm hot and got goosebumps simultaneously right now. I'm sweating and cold. And so that sacrifice was in the inner courts there. There was also some other areas in the inner courts where they would keep the lepers and the sick and things like that while they were being purified. All this kind of interesting stuff. Then you have this next place, which is the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest was allowed in there at, at sacrifice time. They had other priests that came in and out for other reasons. And guys, I'm about to show you something. I'm about to show you something. Perk up your ears. Slap yourself in the face. Because inside the Holy of Holies was where there was a couple of things, very, very important things. One of them was the Ark of the Covenant that was created. And again, you can read that in Exodus. And this was a thing, and I'm not going to go into extreme detail on it, but it was basically a thing that was representative to house the presence of God, meaning this is the presence of God. You've got to think of it that way, this thing. It had a thing called on the top of it. It was called the mercy seat. It did not look like a throne in your head, actually. It was just a, a golden kind of uh, angels, if you can think of it that way, with these wings that in the area right there was called the mercy seat, that area. And what would happen is the blood, which was all that would be left over, from the sacrifice would be poured on top. But inside the Holy of Holies with that thing there, there was this other area. 
There was a table on one side and a table on the other. One was called the table of shoe bread. Not like shoes like this. S-H-E-W. And they had to maintain 12 loaves of bread, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, one for every um, tribe of Judah and all that kind of stuff. And they maintained those breads fresh every single day. And then on this table, they had the wine. In the Holy of Holies. No one ate the bread, by the way. Not until later. Are y'all seeing something here? Y'all beginning to see 1,500 years in the future after we had denied communion with God on multiple occasions, he had set up this system to say, listen, I'm about to show you something that's coming. And in the meantime of that, he still tried to reach out to his man. For all the years after, you can read all the stories between that of literally seeing God constantly trying to reach down to man. Now let's fast forward to the time of Christ. Jesus comes on the scene and begins to kind of tear up a lot of religious ideals. One of the things he begins to tear up is this idea that the kingdom and the way God does all that, it has something to do, anything to do with the natural. And you see this in all the gospels because they keep asking, so when are you going to establish your kingdom? And he keeps looking at him like, and this is his response in one, have I been with you so long and you still don't know? It's very King James of saying, I, I have told you this a thousand times. How do you not see it? It's not natural. Then we see coming into the Last Supper, who knows what the Last Supper is? Not the painting of Da Vinci, but the actual thing that happened. This is now Jesus sitting down with his disciples at what is called the time of Pentecost. No, the day of Pentecost has nothing to do with Acts. That was already happening, and you can research all that. And they're sitting down to have a meal, which is a part of their rituals from the temple worship from 1500 years prior they're having a meal in their house that is in representation of this and in the middle of the meal Jesus stops them like so can you imagine you're all sitting there eating hanging out having a good time laughing and in the meal Jesus says he takes the bread and the wine takes it and he said this is my body and he breaks it it's broken for you and he passes it around and he takes the wine he says this is the blood of my new covenant covenant what do we call marriage marriage covenant what do we call it a union it's a representation of the union and covenant God desires with us so then Jesus takes the very thing that all the way from the beginning has been painted as a picture for us to help us understand communicated to us throughout history and through stories and through poetry, everything trying to get us to understand communion. And Jesus says, take of this with me. Now let's keep moving forward a little bit further. 
because the act of communion that we do stems from that. But in the early days of the church, after the day of Pentecost, not before, so after the Spirit fell, they began to meet together, eat together, and do that specific act as representation of saying, I partake of that life. I abandon the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I get rid of that and I get consumed by your spirit. All of my love, my care, my devotion consumed in that. There's a couple of little things I want to share real quick with you. One is one more story about Jesus and what he did that I did share at the live, but I want to share right now. And then one understanding that was shared, but I want to share it again. Who's ever heard the story of when Jesus got angry and was whipping everybody in the temple and he was turning tables, not like DJing, but like flipping tables. Most of us have missed the entire point of why he was so angry. It's mentioned in Matthew uh, 21. Yeah, Matthew 21, John chapter 2. This is where this story takes place in those two books. It says, they go to the temple like they usually do. He's in the outer courts where all the people are. And what they're doing is they're buying and selling. I need you to hear this. And remember all those stories I just told you from Genesis till now. What they're doing is they're buying and selling sacrifices. See, we read it like they're buying and selling doves. No, that was supposed to be a sacrifice. That was supposed to be something that all year long, because there was one day a year that they sacrificed this for themselves, that they were supposed to take care of it all year long. Okay, can you imagine? Okay, who's ever done like FFA or something like that, where you get an animal and you have to take care of it and you have to take it to shows? No one? This is Texas. This is pitiful. All right, we're going to start a new outreach. We're going to give everybody an animal and we're going to sacrifice them to help us understand this. That's a joke, okay? Don't, do not bring pigs and anything in here. Hear this. They were buying and selling sacrifices, not just doves and stuff to do a sacrifice. The thing was supposed to be a representation of the sacrifice. What they were supposed to have done was bring it themselves. What they were supposed to have done was invested their entire year, all of their blood, sweat, and tears. If you've never had an animal, guess what? When it freezes over, you don't get to just stay in the house warm, cuddled up. You have to go outside and break the ice to make sure they can get water. You have to go and feed them. You have to go and take care of them. You have to make sure this thing doesn't die. You also have to make sure, again, it's your best one. So it's something that's going to be very valuable to you. You're supposed to invest your entire year. That's what they were supposed to be doing. Giving of their time, effort, energy, everything, bringing it to the temple, giving it to God and saying, all of that time is representation of how much I desire communion with you. But what were they doing? I'll make my own income. I'll get my own stuff. And then when I get to the temple real quick, I'll chunk a couple bucks at them. They'll give me my sacrifice. I'll go do my little Jesus Lunchables and we're good. You can't buy your way into communion. 
We understand that. I'm just going to go there. We understand that in relationships. We make fun of people who do mail order brides. Why? You can't buy love. You can't buy it. It takes time, effort, energy, devotion. And Jesus sees this happening. He still sees, are y'all seeing this? He still sees all the right actions that have been laid out for for a millennia before that have been practiced. They're still doing the right actions. But there was no spirit behind it. There was no dedication behind it. There was no holy, there was nothing about it that was doing the representative acts that it was meant to do. It was just some actions. Jesus observes that in the outer courts. It's called the court of the Gentiles. Y'all do remember that, right? He witnessed the people of God showing the people of the world, the Gentiles, improper worship. And he gets ticked and he starts destroying it all. And then he quotes from Isaiah. Again, that would have been a writing several hundred years before Jesus, about, I think, 600. He quotes from Isaiah and he says, You have heard it said that my house will be a, a house of prayer, but you've turned it in, and depending on where you're reading, a den of thieves, meaning you're stealing something. No, they were buying and selling. What were they stealing? Communion. Another place that says a house of merchants, meaning you're trying to you're trying to wheel and deal. What is prayer? It's communion. What upset Jesus was not the fact that they were you. It wasn't because he's like, I'm going to destroy the synagogues and worship. He wasn't even trying. He was saying all these acts are perfectly fine. If you do it in the right way, it illustrates something to us. Y'all think he got upset because he's like, this is what I'm coming to do away with. While that happened, and we no longer have to do those acts, what he was upset about is he says, where is my spirit? And I believe this is why God has asked us here to do some of these crazy acts to just get us to stop doing the act. Don't stop just taking communion. Stop just lifting your hands. Stop just doing these acts and thinking that they have some kind of power in them or thinking that, that if I just do them, I'm, I'm, I'm good. they have no power in them and then just doing them without thinking. Believe it or not, God gave you the brain for understanding And I believe that's why God is taking us down this path. And he said, stop, that's why we didn't take it on Friday. Because you cannot be a community driven by communion if the union of our community is not spirit first. And I believe that's why he's saying, nope, we're going to keep waiting. Not quite yet. We haven't fully understood it yet. We don't want to be the money changers. We don't want to be, we, we want it to be a full understanding y'all see that from Genesis all the way through God constantly painting a picture of communion the last thing I want to share is about communion prayer about these understandings there was something else that happened 
in the temple worship that was illustrated. The outer courts, all the people. Chit-chatting, doing whatever, getting things prepped. It was actually kind of a celebratory area as a whole. I mean, if there's such thing as a synagogue rave, that's where it would have happened. All right, yeah, we're getting our sacrifices ready. Like, it was joyous. Because there's scriptures that illustrate this to us. Enter his gates, his courts, praise. That happened. That was written by David in Psalms. Do you know the place that they went through, the gate at the front into the courts was called the beautiful gates. The beautiful gates, that's what it was called because it was made with all this ornate bronze and everything like that. And you entered into the beautiful gates. And while you're in there, you're preparing. The outer courts got a little bit more intense. It was equally as joyous, but yet met with a sense of sacred and solitude. And when they went into the outer courts, remember, they're, they're supposed to now basically hush all that. And they're giving their sacrifice to God. They're pouring out at that point what they have brought and what they have at their disposal to God. Pray do tell everyone, what do we have at our disposal? Make your bodies, this is how Paul says it, a living sacrifice. Meaning just, I can't see this, just as Jesus did it and said, I'm not going to bring a lamb to the temple anymore. I'm going to be that thing. I'm going to show you the nth degree of your body as giving everything to God. And now you replicate that by making your body a living. My job was to die to illustrate it to you. Your job is to live it out. You are the sacrifice. So in that inner courts was where you now pour out everything you have to God. And then what happened with what was left over is kind of interesting to me. This is symbolic. I hope you are getting the symbolism here. If you don't understand symbolism, you don't understand a lot of what's in specifically the Old Testament. But what was left was blood. Blood always represents the life. Meaning everything else was consumed by the fire on what was called the brazen altar. Everything else can consumed and all that's left is life. All that's left is breath. All that's left is spirit. And that is what gets poured, purified and poured. And in the Holy of Holies, the priests were the only ones that entered. Why, do you, why did the priests the only ones that entered back then? Because of the time of Moses. And the people said, Moses, you go to God. I don't want to go in there. I don't have to deal with that. That costs too much. Everything God had told us, that's scary. And in there, the priest would then stay quiet, would do his rituals, would come back and inform. (laughs) You'll need to hear this. And he would inform the people if their sacrifice was accepted or not. Because, yeah, there were some sacrifices not. Because if it wasn't your best, it was rejected. 
Now, I know for some of you that flies in the face of what you think, how God does everything. You think, are you telling God doesn't love everyone if it's not perfect? That's not what I said at all. Stop your idiotic thinking. What I said is God requires the best. His love and devotion is not contingent upon what you do. But your access to his communion is. I need to say that again. His love, care, and devotion to you is not contingent upon what you do, but access to his communion is. And he is very quite clear as to what that costs. Everything. This is why, just real quick, let me, I'm sorry, I'm just going all over scripture for you guys. What is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, meaning everything. I get it. Not me, God. These three layers were to help us to understand a tripartite. Do you know what tripartite means? It means three parts together as one. Three aspects of a spiritual communion. The first one, man to man. We call this thanks and praise. It's the first thing. That is man to man, people to people, giving thanks to God. Yes, you can give thanks directly to God, but praise is when I'm telling other people about something. It's not praise. If I'm speaking about my wife to you and I'm telling you all the great and wonderful things she's done, that's called praise. But if I'm talking directly to her, it's a very different form. It's not praising her because I'm not talking to you anymore now. It's intimate. It's between the two of us. We have another word for that. It's like worship. So he says in this outer court, it's a man to man. That's a part of your communion with God is man to man speaking to each other about the things in which God has done and giving thanks. You want to know something that's missing from that? Telling each other about all the crap you've been through and how God hadn't done anything about it. That's unequivocally not mentioned anywhere in all of Scripture. But what is mentioned is to give him praise and thanks for what he has done and who he is. Because that is constant and consistent no matter what's going on in your messed up life that you created most of the time. I need to say that again. What is missing is running around complaining and talking about all the things that are going on and excerpting the fact of what God has and has not done about it. It says the only thing you focus on is who he is and what he's done. Then, y'all know what it actually says if you keep reading? It says by doing that, it actually purifies. That's a purification process. Go read it. I'm not making it up. I highly doubt you will because you're lazy, but go read it. It'll take you about 10 chapters, but you'll see it says this part is the purification part. Are we contaminating or purifying the body when we're bringing praise and thanks? Got chills again. Now the next layer is where the sacrifice is given. So we have man to man as our first part of communion. The next piece is man to God. 
pouring out your sacrifice. Y'all see that? Because in the temple worship, in the outer courts, they took their sacrifice and it got consumed by fire. We call the Spirit of God fire for a reason. And it gets consumed in that. And it is the part where we are speaking to God and pouring out to God and pouring out to God. Y'all see that? It's now man to God in that outer courts. Or inner courts, I'm sorry. Then you have the Holy of Holies. And this is the last piece. This is now God to man. This is where God says, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Or he says, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I didn't commune with you. Y'all didn't see that coming, did you? Do I need to tie? I'll tie it back. I'm just going to do it anyways because y'all are still sitting here listening, so I'm going to keep going. They came to Jesus and they said, and Jesus told them, he said this, he said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done all of these things? But he says, I look and say, I didn't know you. You had some community with some people and did some things, but you didn't commune with me. I hope y'all see that. All of scripture from Genesis until the last. That's what it's trying to bring out. Commune. And so there's this three-part piece of our communion. There is man-to-man, but you better protect that. That's got to be praise and thanks only. Then the next part is I'm, I'm speaking to God. I'm pouring out to God. I'm telling God I'm going to give everything. I'm pouring that out to God. Yes, maybe it is petitioning as well to God. And then the last part is, all right, God, now you tell me. We are Forrest Gump too often, and we run Forrest Run right before we get to the ending of the sacrifice, and it's time. Maybe it's because we know our sacrifice isn't worthy. Maybe it's because we're just scared like the Israelites on the mountain. But it takes all three. God says, I'm tired of my children playing in the outer courts and, 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 and just coming in and out of beautiful gates. It's coming in and out of churches, by the way. And I'm tired of them dabbling in a sacrifice that never makes it to me. Now, aware of that, because if you go to the, to the outer or the inner courts and you make your sacrifice, but it never goes into holy holies, the sacrifice never made it to God. Then you just end up bleeding out your sacrifice. And if you don't give it all, you end up wounded in the process. Because if you're supposed to be the living sacrifice and you partially sacrifice, last I checked, that's like losing limbs. That's like getting cut and banged up and bruised. Then we got to make it all the way.